0: This morning, I have the privilege of continuing a series that we started last week looking in on the Old Testament character named Elisha in a series that we're calling Elisha Miracle Messenger. And uh, man, I just need to tell you this is, in case I haven't said it already, this is going to be a strange and stretching series. Consider yourself warned. We are going to see things in this story that are going to legitimately have us asking, does the Bible belong in the fiction section of the library? And we're going to see things in this story that are going to make us ask, what might God still be willing and able to do in and through our lives in this Time It is going to blow the lid off the categories that we may have put around who God is and what God might be willing to do. And I just wanted to say that ahead of time so you know that this series is going to cause tension in us. It's going to cause discomfort in us. We are going to wrestle with things and we're going to question everything that we've ever known. And we are going to maybe even say that's a little bit too weird, too strange for us. We are going to a different church. Um... You can feel free to do that, but not on account of the strangeness or the tension or the dissonance that this story creates. I hope that we will lean in and allow the scriptures to speak to us and maybe redefine what's possible. Maybe redefine reality for us versus us defining reality for the word of God. All that to say, Elisha part 2 is about to get super strange. Hold on to something, hold on to someone, but let's lean in and together see what the Lord might want us to discover and process together. If you have a copy of the Bible, let's get right to it. Second Kings chapter 2, we're going to start reading at verse number 19. 2 Kings chapter 2, starting at verse 19, as you can see magically. The words appear on the screen if you don't happen to have a copy of the Bible. And as always, we're going to read through a little bit. We'll pause to make observations and comments as we go along. The people of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is, this town is well situated, you can see, but the water is bad, And the land is unproductive. Okay we'll pause so right after uh, elijah the greatest of all time the Gope, the greatest of all prophets right after elisha has gone up to heaven in a blaze of glory his successor a man named elisha is left in the area of jericho and he goes and spends some time in the city of jericho probably for about three days or so and it takes no time for the people in jericho to start to catch wind right that uh God's newly anointed number one representative on the planet is in their town. You can almost picture them getting together and comparing notes and coordinating their request. Asking, what's the one thing we should ask of this guy before he leaves town? What is the thing that is pressing down most on us? What is the thing that's holding us back from fully flourishing In life and with unanimity and in unison, they beg Elisha. It's the water. It's the water. Please help with the water. Our city is striking in its beauty. The scenery is second to none. The location is perfect. Easy access in, easy access out. The problem is the water. The water in our city is poison. Literally, our beautiful waterworks that should be a source of life and refreshing is causing sickness and stuckness and even death. Apparently, the water in Jericho is so poisoned that it's causing mass infertility, both to the ground and to the womb. Exposure to the water is keeping plants from go, growing and it's keeping people from being able to get pregnant and it's even killing some of their population so unless they manage to import water from somewhere else they are in this unsustainable deadly cycle of stuckness and sickness and even death this is bad no, so it makes sense why this is the only request they could think of to bring before the representative of the God of heaven. By the way, you might be interested to know that there are two predominant explanations for why the water in Jericho was poisoned. Um, and I'm curious to have you engage your minds this morning and see which of the two options resonates more with you. I am so curious to find out. Now some of you um, might be old enough to remember this. Uh, others of you have binge enough TV to at least recognize what I'm about to talk about. But um, in uh, about 1986 or so in uh, the country that is currently Ukraine... There was one of the most tragic nuclear accidents in all of history in a town called Chernobyl. That's more than just a show, you you know. Um, A nuclear reactor at a power plant apparently exploded. And this radioactive flame shot about a mile up into the sky. And almost in this poetic cruelty of timing, right around then, it started to rain. Each drop bringing down these toxic traces of radioactivity down onto the ground, into the earth, into the waterworks where it started to poison everything in its path. And it went out for miles and miles and miles, carrying toxicity to hundreds of thousands of people. It got in the soil, it got in the plants, it got in the animals, it got in the milk, it got in the water system. And it started to cause for many uh, cancer or or ARS and for many people it started to cause gastrointestinal complications. It was bad. Um, I bring that up. Because explanation number one for the poison in the water in Jericho is contamination. Contamination. Um, historians believe that there is the, the likelihood that this water was contaminated uh, by radioactive rocks. That may sound strange to you, not because of a nuclear power plant. Oh no, Uh, Jericho is notorious for these massive earthquakes that would happen all the time. And it was thought that one of these earthquakes or multiple of these earthquakes shook up some of the rocks under the surface of the earth, came in contact with the water sources and poisoned everything, which was causing infertility. It was causing the soil not to do its job. And people not to get pregnant. Option number one. Radioactive contamination. Um, Now some of you may hear that option and you may think, "Mm, that's a little bit strange. Which is fair until you hear option number two. Some of you might remember uh, the old story um, of uh, a guy named Joshua and the battle at Jericho, same place. Joshua was called to lead God's people into this promised land, this country that would be theirs and they would settle in it. The only problem for the people of God was that there was the city of Jericho between them and the promised land with its fortified walls and its terrifying army. God starts to work miraculously, tells Joshua, I want you to lead my people to march around the city for a week. And they do that. And on the seventh day, if you've heard the story, they march around the city seven times. And on the seventh time, they sound their trumpets. And when they shout for victory, the walls of Jericho come crumbling to the ground. Joshua and the people of God, they go into the city and they destroy everything and they Burn the place to the ground. One of the parts of the story that we often forget. If you are familiar with the story. Is when it was all said and done. Joshua went into the city. And he pronounced a curse on the town. For anyone or anything that would ever attempt to build it. Again, and then he was out. I bring that up to say option number two not contamination, but a curse that 500 some odd years after the fact. The land of Jericho was still suffering under the weight of the curse that Joshua had spoken over it. Now, some of you might be newer to the concept of the language of curses. And I told you, this series is going to get strange and super stretching. And it might open categories that you've never considered possible. Here's what I mean when I talk about a curse. We'll put this up here on the screen so you can follow along. A curse, it's a statement sincerely intended to invite a supernatural power to wreak harm, hurt, or havoc on someone or something. I'll let that sit there so you can read it, memorize it, feel free to tattoo it, whatever. Here's what the curse means, right? A statement sincerely intended to invite a supernatural power to cause harm or havoc or hurt on someone or something. It means to call down a power that causes pain on a person or a place. May this damage or this darkness, may this destruction or this disruption become the reality for this person in the name of insert the supernatural power in the blank. And it was believed when a curse was spoken sincerely in conjunction with whatever power it was, it became the reality for whatever person or place that was. A curse was not just wishing sickness or sadness or stuckness on somebody. No, it was calling and conjuring it down and into their experience and reality. And it's thought That this harm that Joshua called down half a millennium before this went into the very core and poisoned the water sources, keeping anything from meaningfully growing in Jericho. And I just want to ask you, astute people of the church, which of these two explanations sounds more viable to you? A curse or contamination? Um, I just ask the questions. A curse or contamination? Uh, some of you grew up in homes <laughs> where your parents would tell you, you may not stand in front of a microwave without tinfoil on your head on account of radioactive contamination. Or you do not want to trifle with radioactivity, so don't mess with that. Some of you grew up in homes where your parents told you, oh, you better not bring that Ouija board into my house. And you certainly may not say, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, but... I'm not even going to mess with it. Because you don't want to call down You don't want to messing around, find yourself calling down and conjuring these powers that you cannot recall. Because you don't want to trifle with that. So I'm just asking you, which has set into your system? Which makes more sense to you? Is the water poisoned because of contamination? Is the water poisoned because of a curse? I'm so curious to know. And I'm also curious to know Because whether you realize it or not, the way you answer that question has bearing on the way you approach places of stuckness and sickness and sadness in your life. Whether you've thought about it or not. When you run into a place in your life that you know this should be a source of life and laughter. This should be a source of joy and flourishing. But instead it's a source of stuckness and sadness. What will you assume and therefore how will you address it? Again I just ask the questions. When the womb that had dreams of life and flourishing seems stuck, what causes do you tend to gravitate to? And what responses emerge? From it. When that contagious relational gift and energy God has given you is locked up because of an addiction and it's actually hurting the people that you were designed to help bring together, how do you tend to? Interact with that place of I'm stuck and I can't move forward in the ways that are supposed to bring life and joy to the people around me. When you now struggle with the same thing your mom struggled with health-wise. And the same thing your grandpa struggled with health-wise. I'm just asking, do you view that primarily as it's a genetic contamination? Or do you view it as it's a generational curse? Just wondering, where do you tend to go? I swore I'd be nothing like my parents, but... ah. I'm doing the same things that wounded me as a child. I'm in the same family arguments and same family drama that I watched tear our family apart. And yet here I am doing the exact same things. It's like it's in the genetic waters. Like, um... I find myself with the same self-consciousness that I saw in my parents and I thought it was ridiculous when I saw it then. Just asking, when you notice that our county has been stuck in the same restrictive or even destructive mindsets. Well, political contamination, a powerful curse. I told you this would get strange. I warned you out of love. So I'm so curious to know in this story, when you read this, which of these two explanations makes the more sense to you? Curse or contamination? I'm gonna make things even more awkward. Let's take 20 seconds. Tell the person next to you what you think. If those are the only two options, curse or contamination, which one do you think it is? Talk amongst yourselves. I'll wait. 20 seconds. What do you think? And don't try and be uber wise. Like, I think there's a 15th option. You just got two A or B. I did not come to church to thank. (laughs) Um. (laughs) All right. That's great. I cannot wait to see what you post. um, Wherever you tell your answers these days. Uh, Here's the thing. Uh, Whatever caused the poisoned waters. uh, The residents of Jericho agreed on this one thing. We can't fix it. We can't fix it. And we've tried everything. We've tried boiling the water. We've tried putting every conceivable root in the water to see if that will help. Nothing has happened. The infertility persists. It stays poisoned. Death continues to be a part of our story on account of this water. There is nothing that we can do. So when they hear that the man who represents the God of miracles is in town, they take this crisis to him. We don't know what the situation is, but our water is keeping life from springing up and thriving, and we can fix it. Help us. We are stuck. By the way, I wonder if there is an area in your life or in the world around you that you would say that about. I'm not quite sure what the cause is. But there is sickness and addiction and sadness. Stuckness that is draining the life out and keeping from thriving. And there is nothing I can do to change it. I have tried every thing. Verse number 20. Bring me a new bowl. Elisha said, what kind of bowl? I don't care as long as it's not been used and put some salt in it. What kind of salt? I don't care as long as it's salty. So they brought it to Elisha. Verse 21. Then he, he went out to the spring To the source, and he threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says I have healed this water, never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day according to the word Elisha has spoken. And in case you're wondering, in this particular scene, I think God is breaking the curse of Joshua. I think God is breaking a curse that has lingered over this city for generations and generations and generations. And how did he do it? Well, by having one of his new representatives go to the water source and call down healing and wholeness in the name and power of God. Now, you got to hear me. I'm not going to suggest that every stuckness and every sickness and every sadness is somehow connected to a curse. But I am going to suggest that as a church, we need to open the door to that possibility that typically does not exist in my regular way of thinking. And for some of us, that's going to be like, hmm, that's too stretching. That's for Bible days and the developing world. We have anti-curse technology in our country. This is strange. And I'm just saying if nothing else has worked, are you willing to get weird enough to get your Elisha on? And consider some of this as a possibility. I just wonder if there's an area that you've been stuck in for years. And you've just been content to maybe have moments of doing a little bit better. And a little bit better has been good enough for you. Seasons where not too many people have died from the water. And so that is considered good enough for Us, I'm just telling you, I read this story and it just seems to paint a picture of a God who is able to and seems to enjoy breaking curses and bringing about this never again type of healing. I read that and I was stirred by the never again in this story. What might that look like in our lives? Again, we said in this series, we want to explore and wrestle through the possibilities. What might that look like? Never again will you be debilitated by worry about things you cannot control. Never again not saying you're not going to worry but it will no longer debilitate you and keep you from moving into places of joy and the places i've called you to go never again i'm just wondering is that god still active are these realities still possible your grandpa left and your dad left as well but never again will a man in your family line walk out on their responsibilities never again It's been broken at the source. Is that even a possibility in your mind? You've never been able to say no to that destructive impulse in your life. And I'm healing you at the place where you were wounded. So that never again will you be held back and held up from moving into places of freedom and joy because of this addiction. That for generations and generations and generations, y'all have tried everything else. And it hasn't. Made a difference. And again you notice how God did it. How he broke this curse. By having one of his representatives just repeat what he said about it. Man there is power in the word of God. He just had one of his representatives say what he said in that space to that Source, And I just came to tell some of you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't know if you knew, but you are a representative of God. Paul will call you an ambassador of Christ as though God were making his appeals through you. As though God was saying stuff through you. That is a powerful sort, which makes me wonder. Maybe as followers of Jesus, there is a part of our journey and our story that is curse-breaker-ish. And we've just never thought about it, never engaged it, never interacted with it. And I've never stepped into this space. Of walking to the source of broken and hurting things and saying what God has said over that particular space. Jesus said, He has come that you might have joy and that your joy might be complete. If there is a curse of debilitating sadness over your life, I just declare never again. Is that possible? He says, who the sun sets free is free indeed. If there's a curse of addiction or stuckness over your life, I declare what God has said about that thing. Never again would that hold you back from the flourishing that God has called you to. See, we've tried everything else in the church to try and fix things with all of our human efforts and energies. And I'm just wondering, are there possibilities beyond what we might naturally... Consider, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this sense of, I can't and I'm not good enough because I've messed up. And this shame, never again will it keep you from moving into the places that God has called you to move into. Children are a blessing from God. If there's a curse connected to this womb, we call healing and we call wholeness and never again. Again, I'm not saying God is always going to do a certain thing. What I am saying is, might there be a possibility that there are worlds we've just not dared to venture into? Quite. Yet, I wonder if there's an area of stuckness or sickness in your story or in the world around you. That may be tied to some kind of a curse that needs to be broken. Now, we're all living under the curse of sin in general. And Jesus broke its back on the cross. But in our lives, I wonder if there is any possibility of some of this. Somebody was telling me not long ago um, that they were told by a group of people in our county. That they were calling curses on Mission Point Community Church. I'm like, that's really interesting. Are there any on our church that we need to speak the word of God over? Because we find places that should be thriving and yet there's this destruction that doesn't seem to be going away. And there's this tension and division that doesn't seem to be moving. I'm just saying, is there a possibility that the word of God must be declared over that place, things broken, so we can go where we need to go? Otherwise we'll stay in the cycle of Jericho. I just ask the questions. Because I learned from this passage that curse is broken when the word of God is spoken over these sources, these spaces. Man, um, I've tried this, I'm not going to lie, and it's been super awkward. In particular, uh, in my with my daughters, like I will, uh, I'll be in their room and uh, and something will just stir. Like "Mm, I don't know, this seems to just be a thing and a stuckness. And this should be this, but it's this. And I'm like, okay, uh, you know, if there's any curse attached to their stories before we met them back in the, then I just the word of God. And they look at me like, what are you saying? And what does this mean? I'm like, may it be broken in the name of Jesus. That's weird. And then I'll leave. I don't know what happened or didn't happen. Is God laughing? Or are curses laying on the ground? I'm not sure, but what's the worst thing that could happen? If I come to the source of something broken that should be causing joy and it's not moving. And I declare Jesus has said this so never again shall my daughter live with this reality. I don't know what's going to happen but I said it. mm, Bye. (laughs) Dare you to try. I wonder if God wants to break some things. We just don't have categories for that because everything must be explainable. To us. Um, Oh, by the way, you know part of this story I really loved? um, Historians will argue about, like, what was the relevance and the significance of the salt? And they've come to the conclusion no one has a clue. Uh, And what about the relevance of this bowl he used? Do you think the ceramic was from the the Maldives? Like, I, I don't know. No clue. Uh, which I kind of like because I read this and I'm like, man, this reminds me of the church so much. It reminds because there was a time when Jesus said, uh, "You are the light of the world, and you are the what?" Ooh-hoo-hoo! and I kind of help but picture the, the church of Jesus in these flimsy, flimsy clay vessels that He has cleansed and purified. And he is now pouring out into the world to bring healing at the sources of brokenness. How? I think we need to get there and open our mouths and maybe call some things down. And it may be weird. It may be strange. But other things haven't been working. All right. So I'm going to keep moving because you thought we were done. And I'm like, no, we have one quick story to look at. I said two. Here's part two. Hang on a second. And I dare you to bring this part of the story up around the coffee machine at work tomorrow let me know how it goes. All right, here's what it says. Verse number 23. From there, Jericho, Elisha, went to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came along out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, baldy! And in case he didn't hear them, Get out of here, Baldy, they said again. Um, And I just want to know, why? Here's this man just minding his own business, walking along when a large group of young men come out of the town, presumably the town of Bethel. Um, We don't know how old they were. Uh, The language doesn't suggest that they were little boys. The language actually suggests that they they were not married yet. Uh, I can't help but wonder if this isn't that same group of 50 prophets who came and gave Elisha a hard time in verse number 3. Knowing that Elijah was about to be taken from him and they were just kind of rubbing it in. I can't help but wonder if it's the same dudes. Because there are at least 42 of them as we'll see here in a moment. This is a coordinated choreographed effort to shame and throw shade and shut down this wannabe prophet they wanted this and discredit Elisha by all means necessary um, we're going to call his calling into question and we're going to see if we can cause this guy to quit Boo, you don't belong in this place and you definitely don't belong in that position You're not that guy. Just quit. Go back to farming. Boo, baldy. Which sounds, by the way, like a childish taunt, but this was cold and cruel and cutting. Wow. Elijah, the great prophet who preceded Elisha, he was the man. And you could not miss him if he was in the vicinity. And you know why? Because he was a hairy dude. How hairy was he? He was so hairy (laughs) that they said he always looked like he was wearing a fur coat. That's a hairy dude! So then after a while, his hairiness became associated with the covering of God on his life, the anointing, the mantle, the power, the swag with which this man walked. And then here comes, follically challenged, male pattern boldness, Elisha. And these cats come out of the town. And they pick on the one most distinguishing factor. Between the two of them. To say you are not him. You are a poser. You are a wannabe. You are never going to do it man. You are not him. And they are calling into question. What God has called. Into this roll. So uh, as a mature man of God that Elisha is, you can imagine the natural response is sticks and stones. And then you just keep moving. But uh, no, you're going to have fun sharing this part at work. Verse number 24. He, Elisha, this is in your Bible. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. Let's pray. (laughs) Lord, (laughs) what? This is in your Bible. This is the stuff you believe. Good luck with your friends at work on that one. And I'm telling you, the juxtaposing irony is so rich, it is thick to me. Eight hours ago, this dude was calling down the breaking of a curse. And now he is calling down a curse on some dude's heads. I'm like, what? No way! Same Bible, same dude, same day. What? Quick reminder. A curse is a statement sincerely intended to invite a supernatural power to wreak severe harm, hurt, or havoc on someone. Or some 42 ones. (laughs) May these boys be swiftly... And severely silenced in the name of the God whose word called me to this. They are condemning what you have called. Shut them please Lord. And then yikes. I don't know that Elisha had any idea. What would happen next? But two bears come out of the woods and things get painfully gruesome for these 42 mockers. I can imagine Elisha's like, Lord, chill, Lord, chill. I didn't mean all that. Like just maybe (laughs) I wasn't like a level 10. Oh, man. Now, did these guys die? I don't know. Language is not very clear. In either case, a representative of God calls down a curse in the name of God. Because there is a stubborn insistence on bringing down what God had raised up. And I just ask the questions. Because I'm so curious to know how do you process that? Is there enough room in your concept of God for his people to call down curses in his name? On people's heads. I'm just saying. Enjoy talking about this. In your small groups. On your drive home. Around the lunch table. We want to wrestle with this stuff. What do you do with that? I wonder. Is there a time to heal? And a time to curse? I wonder, if we look more closely at our lives, might we find that God has put us in places to bring healing and also places to bring the hammer? I'm just asking the questions. I wonder, because I read this and I'm like... um, This doesn't make a whole lot of sense in my natural thinking. Uh, This was tricky to wrestle through because I think we as a church, we are really good at the hope and healing part. And then we read stuff like this and I think we just blow through it. We're not quite sure what to do. But I'm just saying, I think there's no accident that these two stories find themselves in sequence. Almost as though telling us there may be a time to break a curse, but there may also be a time to bring one in the name of God, and I don't know what to do with that. We are the salt of the earth, called to preserve, but we are also the light of the world, called to push out darkness. I I don't know. Can we wrestle together with these things? God has said all life is precious to him and must never be recklessly treated. So when we see a coordinated effort to discard what God has called valuable and there's nothing else that can be done. Is it okay to call down a swift and severe shutting down of that? I'm asking the question. There's a time to adopt, but is there a time to, God, we ask you, would you break the back of whatever is hurting these children or causing this thing? I'm just asking, is, is, I'm sitting and I'm wrestling y'all and my world is being messed up a little bit. When you're aware that there is an abuse of power and people are being hurt and you can't change it. When is it okay to call heaven down to break the yokes of oppression? Isaiah 58 says, you're coming to worship me. I want you to go out there and break every yoke. But we can't. Okay. Maybe try it the way Elisha did it. Maybe it's by calling something down from heaven in the name of God as his representatives. I don't know. Jesus has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility and he's called equally beautiful people of every race and background and tribe. And so when I hear these voices that insist on dehumanizing certain categories of people, is it ever okay to say God swiftly and severely silenced the racism in Well, it's just the way the mindset has been in our area and it will never change. But it's hurting people. And it's going against what God has said. I'm just asking a question. Now again, I'm not talking about bears. We don't have bears in our county. And if we do, please don't correct me. I want to live in ignorance for the rest of my life. (laughs) And I'm not suggesting... That you do something crazy. I'm suggesting is there maybe a time when we speak what God says to break curses. And is there maybe a time when we call heaven down to break something that's bringing up pain to the heart of God and to his agenda. And I'm saying can we wrestle with that a little bit. Because if you study the life of Jesus there were times he stepped into space. He even cursed a tree. You were not doing what you were created to do. But more than that, the way he spoke, provisional curses over the religious systems that were hurting people. Heaven is coming down if you persist in this particular area. He didn't do anything, but he called something down. Somebody who leads a child astray. Jesus had some really hard words for them. So as his representatives, Jesus, what does it look like to wrestle through all of this? Thanks for being a part of this crazy, stretching series. Here's what I do know. We stand with Jesus. We walk with Jesus. And we continue to ask Jesus, would you give us the courage and the wisdom to step into all of the things that you might be inviting us to through your word? Because we want to live as your representatives for your name's sake.